Hi everyone, how you doing? Good. My name is Diane and I am in Al-Anon. Hi. And um, first of all, I just want to say this is my first time out to Kentucky. And I've been sharing this with the people that I've been meeting. The gentleman who gave us a ride to the airport yesterday morning, one of my dad's sponsees, he said, oh, you're, you're so lucky you're going to Kentucky. I wish I was, I wish I was you going. He said, those are the nicest people in Kentucky. So, um, and that's been our experience since we have arrived. I just want to thank Cindy for picking us up and um, her husband, Mick, for hosting us, taking us out to dinner last night, breakfast this morning. Um, Trina for being the chairwoman and Brent for being the voice and being so welcoming. Um, and all of you for having um, both me and my father get to come out here together, which is a real treat. Um, right now I live in San Diego. And so my father and I, we live fairly close, about an hour and a half away. Um, but it's nice when we get to come to an AA Al-Anon um, gathering together. It's a treat. Um, happy Valentine's Day. Um, how appropriate. This program is so much about love, learning to love ourselves, learning to love others, um, learning to love God, and feeling God's love. I know that has been probably... Um, <coughs> Probably one of the biggest things that I've gotten out of this program is to feel love. I think I was numb to it before getting here. I didn't think that I deserved it. I didn't know how to love. I didn't realize it was an action. I just thought it was a feeling, something that I had been missing, you know, a lot of my life growing up. Um, and I look at it much differently today than I did in the past. Um, so how do I want to start out? What it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, normally when I start out, I kind of start out with a little bit about what's going on for me today, and then I start with my story. And what's going on for me today is that, um, well, I've been in and out of program Al-Anon for about the last 15 years. I started out as an Alateen, and, uh, just one of the best ways to start out, I think. It was, it, it's a little bit different. I don't know if there's any Alateens in this room right now, um, but welcome and thank you for being here. It's definitely dear to my heart, that program. Uh, anyways, what's going on for me today is that I have been kind of wavering in my program the last six months um, as far as attending meetings, and so I just want to be upfront and honest about that and share that with you. That's kind of hard for me to be up here and share that, actually. But um, there's another program that I belong to, Over Years Anonymous, and that has kind of had to take precedence for me. So um, that's where I'm at with that. Um, let's see, I started out um, growing up with my father. You'll get to hear him speak tomorrow. And... It was pretty much just he and I. I had a, my mom left when I was, I don't know, a few months old, a year old. There's different stories. Um, but my memory is that it was just pretty much my father and I. Or we had, I had a stepmom for a while until I was about four. Um, but from then on out, it was my father and I. And, you know, his drinking had progressed through the years. And, uh, and I kind of grew up with, without, a woman figure in my life, um, and I grew up with an alcoholic drug addict, and uh, my dad was not home a lot. He actually left a lot, so 
I kind of grew up, in a sense, just home alone a lot. And I'm very lucky that, you know, God blessed me, I think, with being extroverted. Not that there's anything wrong with being introverted. I'm actually attracted to the introverts. But um, that it allowed me to get out and meet people. Um, my dad did a lot of geographical as well, so I was one of those kids that was pretty much every single year I was the new kid in school because we moved around so much. So um, not every year, but a lot of years we moved around, and uh, I was the new kid, and it was very easy for me to make friends. And I kind of got used to making those geographicals with my dad. And so once I finally grew up and left his home, I continued on my own path of making geographicals. And um, I, I can say that I have friends all over the world. Um, but, yeah, I looked at that. I remember thinking when I was a kid, each time we would move, I'd be like, oh, good, I can start out new. <laughs> and I was a little bummed to be leaving some friends. But for the most part, I was excited because I was going to be this brand new person. I wasn't going to be this old Diane that I didn't like. And kind of the way my attitude towards life is that I didn't really think very highly of myself. Um, I didn't really want to be myself. I wanted to be you whoever you were, and five minutes if I was introduced to someone else, I wanted to be them. Um, and so how I kind of formed my personality was very chameleon-like. Um, if I was hanging out with this group of people, I was like them. If I was hanging out with this group of people, I was like them. I had all different kinds of friends, and I still do today. I, I really can relate with a lot of different people. Um, and I think there's the benefits and the downfalls to that. Um, I think the downfall was that I didn't really know who I was as I started growing up. As my teenage years, I just remember asking myself, like, I don't really know who I am and what I stand for and what my opinion is. Um, I just kind of agreed with everyone else. So, um, but anyways, so that's kind of, uh, grew up in all different places. So when people ask where I'm from, it's just basically the last place that, or where I live now, that's where I'm from. And I always kind of feel my home is right where my heart is, it's inside my body. Um, I grew up, my, my dad was an atheist, and he'll share this, um, and he, my dad's pretty open about his beliefs, and so it was very much talked about in our home that there was like no such thing as a God. And I don't know why I believed there was a God, but I just kind of did. And I would pray to God. And this prayer that I prayed, it was pretty much the only times that I would pray, was like when my dad would be walking out the door, you know. Um, and it was all because I didn't take out the garbage. I mean, he drank because I didn't take out the garbage, or I didn't make the bed, or, or something. And um, I would pray, you know, God, if you... If you please bring back my dad, I promise I'll be a good girl. I promise I'll take out the garbage, um, do my schoolwork, go to school. And, you know, my dad always came back, but I don't think it had anything to do with me taking out the garbage because I still didn't take out the garbage. <laughs> um, so that was my relationship with my higher power before I got to the program. Um, I used to um, envy others and be very jealous of others. Um, I think a lot of the money that my dad made didn't make it home. So whether that be in the form of clothes or food or, you know, just household items, 
sometimes I didn't always have those things, and so I was very envious of people. Um, I learned at a young age to hoard because I was so fearful of things not being around that I didn't want to share with other people because the whole idea of not having enough. Um, and just the whole concept of not being enough, not being good enough, um, I'd say was something that is core within me that I've kind of grown up in. And it still haunts me today um, of not being good enough no matter what I'm doing or saying. Um, but it's getting a lot better, and it's gotten a lot better. Those feelings I know today are old tapes. I can identify those feelings when they come up. Um, so anyways, um, I was one of those students that really varied in school. I If I hung out with the straight-A students, I was so competitive, and I so much had to be like you and had to be better than you. I couldn't stand the thought of being worse than you. Um, that if I was hanging out with great students, I would be a great student. And if I was hanging out with really poor, you know, students, then that's the kind of student I was too. Um, and that just went up and down over the years. Um, I didn't really have anyone to come home to. My dad really wasn't um, the type of parent who would make sure that I was doing my homework or anything like that. So I kind of just like kind of just made it through school. I don't know how. A lot of cheating. That's what I did. A lot. I was really good at cheating. And uh, I have some good techniques. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, that's kind of how I made it through. And actually, when I got to college, I they would test you for where you what levels of math and English you would go into. And it actually tested into a lower-than-college level English class because I cheated so much through school that I really didn't have the knowledge base that I needed to go on through college. Um, so anyways, um, growing up scared, I cried a lot. I'm one of those very expressive type of people and not afraid to show my feelings. Um, so I laughed a lot and I cried a lot and I was really known for that and I still am today emotionally expressive. I'm, I, I'm either laughing or I'm crying. I mean, just people know that about me. And uh, I remember this girl scaring me in fourth grade saying, people who cry too much can never get pregnant. You know those weird kind of rumors that go around when you're little? You're like, <gasps> freaked out. So I, you know, and I couldn't control it. And I was like, well, maybe I'm never going to get pregnant because I've cried all that I need to cry for for really my entire life um, by the time I've hit fourth grade. So... That kind of scared me. Um, but I wasn't afraid to show my emotion. I wasn't afraid to express it. Um, I did get in a lot of trouble in school. I, I had a, My mom just recently told me that um, I was diagnosed with ADD when I was a young child. And I'm like, oh, that explains it. Well, I couldn't pay attention in school and sit still. Um, so basically, that's kind of what it was like for me, um, just running around with people, like always attracted to the kind of wrong kind of people, um, people are getting into a lot of trouble, um, being very proud and arrogant, and I still kind of am, <laughs> but uh, very proud and arrogant of being like a troublemaker when I was young. I was like showing it off or something, and um 
even today I'll notice sometimes when I talk about how I was in school, I'm like, yeah, I was a troublemaker. <laughs> yeah, I was cool. <laughs> um, less and less of those feelings arise for me today. I'm not as so proud of that today. Um, but for me, it was a way of getting attention. And I had some really good teachers. I had some really good adult friends in my life who, you know, God really, really watched out for me. Um, there was always someone there for me. And, and whether it be my dad sometimes or his friends that would come pick me up for a couple months at a time, a couple weeks at a time, pick me up from school, um, there was someone who was always there for me. And, you know, I totally made it through. And uh, when I was about, let's see, when I was in seventh grade, I was living in Las Vegas with my dad. And my dad would go out on these long bitches. And I um, I used to write these notes. I, was, I grew up very independent, obviously. And I used to write these notes saying, Dad, I'm going on vacation for two weeks. I'll be back. And I started doing that in second grade. And uh, so I was very used to running my own life. I didn't have a curfew. I was the kid who could always stay out the latest and stay out until the last kid, you know, had to go in. I just could do whatever I wanted. And so my uncle came to visit my dad's father. And my dad borrowed some money and said, I'll be right back. I'm just going to go pay a bill and I'll be right back. Well, the whole day had passed and he wasn't right back. And uh, my uncle said, well, I, I can't wait around anymore do you want to come to California? And I said, oh, yeah, I want to come to California. It was always a dream of mine to live in California. Not that I was thinking I was going to be going to live there, but that's what happened. He said, well, why don't you come out for two weeks? I said, yeah, I'll write my dad a note. So wrote my dad a note that I was going to California, got some stuff with me, two weeks' worth of stuff. And uh, when I was out there for two weeks, I loved it so much. I was actually in a home for the first time with two uh, you know, parent figures who were always there, and uh, I just had a great time with them. And they said, you know, we don't think it's probably the best environment for you to be living with your father. Do you want to live with us? And I said, yes, I do. And my dad hit the roof when he found that out and thought that they were turning me against him. Um, and then my dad went on to drink for during that year. And I didn't have a lot of communication with him. But during that year... Um, it was really hard for me to actually have people who cared about me and cared about where I was at. Um, to, for me to be accountable was completely new, and I wasn't used to that. And I really took it kind of the wrong way. I took it like as these jerks. You know, what do you mean I can't like just come in when I want and do what I want and behave in school the way that I want? Um, so there was a lot of kind of... A, friction between me and them, and they really tried to foster a relationship between my mother and I, who we really didn't have too much of a relationship. Some summers I would go visit her, but for the most part, um, she was not in my life, and I never really knew why she wasn't. I just had always grown up with the feeling that I was unwanted and that I was some kind of monster. Um, and so my aunt took me to go see a counselor. She said, you need to go to counseling. And I said, oh, God, okay. So I go to counseling. And the first thing the counselor tells me is, you're angry at your mother. 
And then I got angry with the counselor for saying that. I was like, I'm not angry with my mother. I have no feelings towards my mother, and I don't even care about her. I'm not angry with her. So I didn't think that was going to be any good for me, so I stopped that. Then I went to go live with my mother for the summer between 8th and ninth grade, and that was in Santa Barbara, and I... Uh, all these feelings started coming up. Like, I'd never really been around my mom so long, and all these feelings started coming up of disgust and hatred. And I I didn't even clue into what that counselor had said, but I was really, like, had very strong feelings for the first time in my life towards her, and I didn't know how to deal with them. I didn't know why I was feeling them. Um, and I didn't want to deal with them. I don't think I was ready at the time to. It was a little overwhelming. So my dad had just gotten sober, been sober during that summer, and um, I I called him up and I said, hey, you know, can you come pick me up? I, I want to live with you again. And now he was living out in California. And he was overjoyed, you know, he was happy to have me back. And I wrote my mom a note, and, uh, and I wrote her a note actually a week before I left, and she was so hurt that she couldn't talk to me during that week, and her boyfriend actually kind of chewed me out, saying what a bad daughter I was, because she had made all these sacrifices for me to come live with her. And at that time, at that age, I had no idea. You know, now today I realize what an effort she put out for me to be with her, but I had no idea at that time. And I really, after that, had lost connection with my mom through pretty much all of high school and most of college. We didn't really have a relationship. And I, I had been with my dad ever since. So I went to high school with my dad. And in, my dad was sober for his first year. I was in ninth grade. And I had these thoughts going around in my head like, yeah, now it's my turn to have fun. <laughs> you get to stay home and get to wonder about where I'm at now and worry and be in fear, and my dad had had so many feelings of guilt that he kind of let me push him over a bit until right at the end where I was just getting in so much trouble at school and so much trouble out of school, and, you know, started the whole boyfriend thing. He was, of course, a drug addict, my first boyfriend, and uh, um, just started getting in a lot of trouble. So we moved from one area to another in California, and he said, you know, you're behavior in my home is becoming a threat to my sobriety, and if you don't change, whether you go to counseling or Alateen, there's this Alateen program, I'm going to have to kick you out. And I didn't have anywhere else to go. I pretty much used up my resources. So um, I agreed to go to counseling, and that helped a little bit, but I had kind of lied my way through it. Like, I didn't, I really wasn't honest with her about what I was doing and my feelings. I was very shut down. Um, I thought sharing your feelings was just something you just don't do. Like, everything was a secret. You don't tell anyone what's going on in your home, and you definitely don't tell them what's going on with you. Um, so, and my trust, especially of adults, there, it was nil. There was none. I didn't trust any adults, and I didn't have any respect for adults. Um, so that didn't necessarily help me so much. Um, and then my dad said he suggested, you know, Alateen. And so I started noticing my dad getting healthier in the program. Like, he started really kind of being a father for the first time. Like, the kind of father that I wanted, I should say. He's always a father. But... uh 
I really started watching him grow, and he was getting happier and healthier emotionally, and I was getting jealous. And I was like, this this isn't right, you know? First he was happy doing all the drinking, and he got it good, and now he's being happy in AA, and he's got it good, and now I'm miserable. And I was miserable. In ninth grade, I was miserable. <laughs> and so... Um, I went to my first Alateen meeting, which ended up being my um, home group, and it was in Long Beach, California, Wednesday night, and there was a group of like 40 Alateens. And, you know, I've Alateen, I think, is a very kind of interesting thing. It's strong in some areas and not as strong in other areas. It also goes through periods, year periods. Like right now, I don't think it's as strong as it was when I was going. Um, I think it just depends what year and what era you happen to be in. I, I've seen that a lot with Alateen in different places. So um, I was really lucky that it was a strong group, and there were kids in there. I mean, half half the kids in there were on all these different committees for conventions, you know. Like they were on the Alateen Convention for the Southern California Convention, and then they had a SCAT conference, which is Southern California Alateen Conference, which Alateen's like put on once a year. It's just 500 kids just like this for a whole weekend, and it's fabulous. And um, anyways, these these kids were really active in the program. They had sponsors. They would carpool to all different meetings all over L.A. and Orange County. And so this group really became my family. They became my core group, and I got a sponsor. And... Uh, you know, you want to fit in, and it was so easy to fit in. I mean, it was just like a savior in high school. And for those of you who have children, um, and if you if you haven't introduced them to Alateen, I highly recommend that you do. It was so, it turned me around. I could have gone off in a whole different direction in my life, and I really, really, um, and I have to thank Alateen for the way my life has turned out today. I'm pretty happy. Um, but, yeah, I was one of those kids that was just failing out of school, always getting in trouble. And I got a sponsor, and she started saying, you know, like, you're smart. Why are you almost failing out of school? I don't get it. And she was like one of those straight-A students, you know. And I was like, because I don't care. And she's like, that's not it. You know, and I just said, and so we did a fourth step, and it came out that I was actually had this fear that I was really stupid. I had this belief that I was extremely stupid, and I didn't want to prove it to myself. So if I actually tried in school and then actually proved that I couldn't do well, then I knew for sure I was stupid, and I just didn't want to know that. So she said, you know, I don't. I think you should just try. Just give it a try. So in 11th grade, I started trying. And in 12th grade, I gave up cheating. And it was a big deal for me to give up cheating. <laughs> like, I actually would, like, people who knew me in school would be, like, trying to come to me to, like, okay, let's cheat, let's do this. And I'm like, don't even come to me anymore. <laughs> like, I don't cheat, and you shouldn't either. <laughs> kind of got pretty self-righteous by that. I, uh, <laughs> and so I started doing well in school. I actually graduated um in honors classes, and I got straight A's, and um, I started doing really well. I got really involved in Alateen. I got on different um, service committees for SCAC and SoCal, and we went out to Arizona all the time, and Northern California. I was meeting people from New York, Alateens from everywhere. 
And Alateen, the way that they conduct their meetings is everyone sits on, at least in Southern California, everyone sits on the floor in a circle. Everyone is laying all over each other. It's the most touchy-feely kind of atmosphere. Everyone's massaging each other. And it's just like a love fest, you know, and everyone's so, like, you could be the biggest nerd or dork and fit in. People would love you, you know, and that was, like, the greatest thing in high school because that wasn't the case in high school, as you all know. It was kind of a popularity contest. So um, I had some friends in high school, but my memories from high school are mostly Alateen. And uh, then people slowly started transitioning out of Alateen, and that transition from Alateen to Al-Anon is pretty challenging because... I can't speak for everyone in Alateen, but for me, the adult was the enemy. And so, even though we had killer, really great Alateen sponsors, the adult was the enemy. I just did not want to grow up. And um, and I really didn't want to go to Al-Anon because you had to sit in chairs, and I couldn't relate to the whole husband or wife thing and um, work all that kind of stuff. So it was a hard time to transition. And um, I actually tried transitioning into Al-Anon, and I kind of got caught up with this group that was, in my opinion, it works for some people, but it wasn't for me. It was rather controlling. And I got this sponsor, because some of my friends were going into this specific group in Al-Anon. And I... uh, and it was just very controlling, and they were saying stuff like, you can't really hang out with your father anymore, and you, you need to be out here doing all these meetings, and I, I don't know. They were telling me, like, you can't go surf and all that. I surf, and it's my passion, and as soon as they said the surf thing, you know, the father thing was like, okay, I don't really hang out with my dad anyways, but surf, you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> so I, I pretty much gave up Al-Anon, and I don't think I gave it an, a fair enough chance. Um but I had kind of given up Al-Anon, and I thought that I was cured. And I thought, okay, well, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I'm in college now. I'm making friends. I'm doing well. I get good grades. I'm fine. Well, um, I stayed out of Al-Anon, I guess. I don't know. I've kind of always been in and out of it. I've never really, really been fully out of it, except for maybe when I've been traveling. Um, but... I kind of was in and out of it, and then I guess a couple years later, I got a boyfriend who was, of course, an alcoholic, and and, uh, I started seeing my behavior with him. Like, I started really nitpicking on him and pointing the finger and feeling like a victim. And I actually, for the first time, started thinking about Al-Anon's and, like, relating with what I had heard in Al-Anon meetings um, about how, how their behavior was. Because growing up with a parent, it's hard to get yourself out of that victim role. Like, because your parents still have so much control over you when you're a kid. Um and it's hard for you to be out like, yeah, I messed up so much in life. It's like, well, I'm just starting out in life. I don't see how I totally messed up my life already. You know, I don't see how my behavior is so crazy already. I didn't do all these crazy things out in the world yet because I haven't even gotten out there yet. So now I'm getting out there, getting crazy. Um, and uh, I started realizing, I started actually um, 
doing all the same behaviors that I had done with my dad when I was a little girl, and I started feeling like a little girl with this guy um, and really trying to control his drinking. I did that with my father. I would hide the marijuana. I would hide the needles. I would hide, and I would do the same with this guy, and I would I would put him down, and I was totally self-righteous, and I would just point the finger all the time, and if only he would then we would be happy. And um, and it scared me because I saw my behavior. And so I said, oh, my gosh, I have, I have to go to Al-Anon. And that's where I think the Alateen played a really important role for me is that I knew, I knew how to identify my behavior and I knew where I needed to go to at a young age. And so I got myself involved in Al-Anon. I got a sponsor. I did the steps again. And... Um, this time my amends list was longer, <laughs> and um, I dug a little deeper and uh, really got involved and started seeing my life change around. I started feeling good again, started getting really involved again, doing service work, and uh, let's see, after I did that, then I went to, I traveled for a year out in the South Pacific. And I didn't really attend any Al-Anon meetings. Uh, a few Al-Anon meetings. Um, and then when I came back from traveling, I moved back up to Northern California. And uh, I, I moved to an area where there wasn't really a lot of young people. And I went to these Al-Anon meetings. I didn't have a car because I sold my car to go traveling. And when I moved to this area in Northern California, um, I just went across the street to this meeting. I was so lucky. And there was all these older women in this meeting. And I had really, through Al-Anon, the process of Al-Anon, really repaired a lot of my relationship with my father. So my father and I are pretty close now. And, however, with my mother, it really wasn't repaired much at all. And and I knew it needed to be repaired. And now when I look back, all these women in this meeting, like I was the only young person in this meeting, um, in the meetings, actually. And they were like mothers for me, all of them. And they totally took me and nurtured me. And my sponsor was just, she was so soft. She was so gentle with me. And I really, I really needed someone who was gentle and nurturing. Um, some people need like really harsh kind of, pounded in your head kind of sponsors and I just totally I don't deal well with that I, I don't it's not for me I, I really like the soft approach it's, it makes me less defensive and um, this woman you know I, I do my little mess ups in life and she's like it's okay like it's not a big deal let's just you know let's put the focus back on you and that's what I mainly remember from my sponsor she always say let's put the focus back on you when you feel like you're getting crazy it's because the focus is on someone else and she'd always talk in the we she'd always use we like she didn't say you're doing this and you're doing that she'd say you know we get a little crazy and I do this too and she'd always relate to me so I wouldn't feel so bad about my behavior and um, that really made a big difference so we Work the steps again, and um, she really helped me kind of address some of the issues between my mother and, and I. And that year was so intense, those couple years actually, was so intense for me because I finally got to the point where I could, I really learned about forgiveness. 
And there, I, I brought this book with me, Courage to Change. It's an Al-Anon day at a time book. And I love these books because they're small and I can travel with them. And I travel a lot, so I, you know, a lot of times this, this will be my program for me. Um, it's really convenient and I relate so much to whatever's going on in the book. And one page in here in particular talks about forgiveness. And I'm going to read it because this pretty much sums up me and um, forgiveness of my whole view of it until the last few years. Before, and this is the March 15th date, page 75, before Al-Anon, forgiveness meant power to me. I could judge the offender, the person who wasn't doing what I wanted, and then exercise my power by showing that I could rise above the offense and magnanimously (laughs) bestow forgiveness. But I would never forget what had been done. Today, I know that forgiveness has nothing to do with power. It does not give me control. Forgiveness is simply a reminder that I am an that I am on equal footing with every other child of God. We all do good and noble things at times. On other occasions, we may offend. I have no right to judge, punish, or absolve anyone. When I behave self-righteously, I am the one who suffers. I separate myself from my fellow human beings, focus on others, and keep busy with hateful and negative thoughts. By taking this attitude, I tell myself that I am a victim, so I remain a victim. The most forgiving thing I can do is remember that my job is not to judge others, but to think and behave in a way that lets me feel good. Today's reminder, I don't know the motives or circumstances that cause another's behavior. I do know that when I hold on to resentment and blame, I occupy my spirit with bitterness. Today I will find a more nurturing way to fill myself up. And this is a quote by Booker T. Washington. You can't hold a man down without staying down with him. And I love that page. I've read this over and over through the years. And that really relates to me and how I went about forgiving people. I would be kind of up here. You were all down there. And uh, I would forgive you, um, but always remind you, you know, what you did to me. And um, with my mom, I was waiting for my mom to be the parent. And I was waiting for her to actually you know, start making amends to me for leaving me, you know, and doing all these terrible things to me. And I wasn't going to forgive her, and I wasn't going to have a relationship with her until she, like, was the parent. And I was like, this is the way it's supposed to be. I wasn't accepting reality that that's not the way it was, even though that's the way I thought it should be in my mind. And my sponsor finally told me, she goes, Diane, you're the one. You're the one. You're the one who gets to do the program. You're the one who has the program. You're the one who has to do the forgiving. You get to be the teacher here with your mom. And I fought that for a while because I still wanted my mom to be the one. And uh, you know what? She wasn't. I was. And that was such a gift when I finally just let go and I just, I just kind of like gave in and surrendered. I was like, okay. And so I finally had these conversations with my mom, which were very difficult because she didn't really like, she didn't want to bring up the past and she didn't want to talk about it. And um, I kind of forced the issue with her and I said, Mom, if you want to have a relationship with me and I want to have one with you, I have to cover the past with you. I have to get it out of me and I have to talk about it with you. We have to talk about it so that I can move on from it. Otherwise, I'm never going to move on. And so... We discussed things. I was able to tell her how I truly felt. 
But before I did that, I had to take responsibility for my behavior. And so I had to listen to her side of the story. And my mom told me, like, well, when you were three, you would push me away. You would tell me I wasn't your mom. And then when you were ten, you said you liked living with your dad and didn't want to live with me and all this kind of stuff. And I had to take responsibility for that, you know. And I took responsibility by saying, yes, I did say that. And no, I didn't mean that. I was actually just scared to death of you, and I didn't really know who you were or why you weren't there. And so she got a better understanding of where I was coming from. And once I was able to take some responsibility for my behavior and actually taking part in me pushing my mom away, taking responsibility for why we hadn't had a relationship, she was able to take responsibility for her part. And she said to me what I always wanted her to say, and she said, you know, I... I should have came and I should have gotten, I should have gotten you and I should have like, if it would have meant going, being illegal about it and just taking you, I should have done that. I should have been there for you. I should have been a better mom. And she's never said that to me. And, and it wasn't in the space of like, she owed that to me anymore. She just offered that to me because I allowed that space. I opened that space for us. And today I see my mom once a month. We hang out. And it's amazing. We have a great time. And it's weird. Genetics. I'm telling you, genetics are a weird thing. You don't grow up with someone, but you're seeing how you're so similar to someone. We are so alike. I mean, I look a lot like her. But beyond that, I I mean, we'll bring lunch when we meet in L.A. And, like, we're bringing the same things. And we're into the same things. I mean, she's passed on a lot of her spirit to me. I'm working for an environmental organization now. And she's way way hip to that scene, and uh, she does a lot of service work like my father does. Um, it's interesting, now that I'm older, when I was young, I could never see how the two matched, how they ever, ever got married. I thought they were so different, but they're actually a lot of like, they're very into service work, serving others. Um, so I kind of think it's special that they got together and had me, even though they didn't stay together. Um, with my dad... There's been a lot of forgiveness on that end, too. Um, this is something that I've left out of my shares, but I thought I would share it today. Um, when I was young, like I told you, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, when I turned 18, I found out I had this trust fund, and I had always had a chip on my shoulder with people like, oh, you have money? Aren't you lucky? <laughs> I don't. So... <laughs> Um, and I always thought, like, oh, I need to make it on my own. Any money that ever comes to me, I have to earn myself. I don't deserve this money that's coming to me. And so when it came, I didn't want it. And my, I didn't want to take any responsibility for this trust fund. And it was quite a large amount of money. And uh, I gave the responsibility to my father. I just said, oh, take it. And, you know, I was 18, and I just didn't want to deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I was scared. And I didn't want to be one of those people that I had always hated for having money. So that was the main motivation there. Um, Well, what ended up happening is, like, you know, my dad invested it. And and through the stock market, you know how the stock market goes. It goes up and down. And we had lost it. We made it. We lost it. We made it. And we ended up losing quite a bit of it. And then in the end, we ended up making some of it back. Um. But during that time, my dad's health had dwindled, and um, he had gone through a bankruptcy, and so everything had to be in my name. From 18, 
for like I don't know how many years. And he was using credit cards while I was away up in college up in Northern California, credit cards that were in my name. And I allowed him to. I didn't know how many were in my name, but I, I knew that it was going on. And um, he had every full intention of paying those back when he got back on his feet and when he got healthy again to be able to work again. And you know what? He called me one day when I was up in Santa Cruz and he said, Diane, you know, I ran up your credit cards and I can't pay them back. And um, I was like, it's okay, it's okay, you know. And I was going through a workers' comp case, so I moved back down to Southern California and um, I paid off some, like half of it or something. And it was a large amount. It's a large amount to me. And uh, and then what I did is then I started going to this therapist who was like, you can't be responsible for your dad's bills, blah, blah, blah. So what I did, and this was my own choice, is I defaulted on these credit cards. And this is a large amount of money. And um, I thought, oh, I'm going to go to Australia. And I'm just going to go for five years. Because I heard that once, like, Three or four years passes, they can no longer like charge you with these cards, so they no no longer hold you accountable. So my whole idea was just to run away and not to deal with it. So I ran away into Australia and some other places, and um, came back, you know, and then um, couldn't have anything in my name. Didn't I haven't had a bank account in quite a few years, and uh, and been living with my boyfriend at the time, and uh, was started getting angry over this whole thing, like, because we came back a lot sooner. We weren't in Australia for five years. We came back a lot sooner, so now I'm having to deal with this bad credit that's on my name, and I started really getting into a lot of blame with my father, like, it's your fault. These weren't my bills. I shouldn't have to take care of them, and I was very, very, very angry, and that's when it all came up for me, because now I had to deal with the consequences of my actions and his actions, and uh, it took me a long time, but I finally got to the point where I finally was able to take responsibility for it, um, I guess it was over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago or something, yeah, a year and a half ago, I finally decided to take responsibility for it and started looking into bankruptcy. Um, and I filed bankruptcy and it just passed this December. And, you know, today I totally see my part in that. I didn't want to take responsibility with money and I never have. And, um, talk about learning these lessons at a young age. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, going through the bankruptcy, I was so afraid that I was just going to ruin my life forever, that I'd never be able to get a house or anything like that. Um, I know that's all going to pass. I know it'll all work out, and I'm not afraid anymore. And I don't blame my father anymore. Um, he did the very best that he could do. He shares about it in meetings just like this, which to me takes so much courage. Um, you know, you don't get perfect just because you get to the program. We all still make mistakes. And I still continue to do so. Um, but I forgive my father and I forgive myself, too. You know, I can really beat myself up a lot of times for some of the mistakes that I do. And um, by forgiving myself, meaning I just don't sit there and beat myself up constantly. 
and victimize myself and share it with other people, what a bad person I am. It's just like, yeah, I did this, and that's what happened, and here's where I'm at today. I'm okay. Um, so forgiveness for me today, um, it just kind of means cutting those ties to resentments, you know? Um, I don't have to live in anger anymore because when I'm resentful and I'm not in a forgiving space, I'm not a fun person to be around. Okay, I'm going blank here. <laughs> Some of the other things that I wanted to talk about were um, just how much I feel the program has helped me to grow. When I was up in Northern California the last few years, I actually got to go back. They say when you're in Alateen, you need to take some time away from it and then come back if you want. And so I was able to come back in my late 20s and actually sponsor an Alateen meeting. And it was it was magical. I kind of knew what my my sponsors, while I was going through Alateen, would always talk about. They were like, oh, my God, we're so lucky to sponsor this meeting. We get so much out of it. And I was like... How do you get anything out of like being with Alateen? Like, I really didn't know what they were talking about. But now that I've been back working with Alateens, I was just like, oh my gosh, I get so much out of it, you know. And and I really did. Like, I actually, it gave me a better perspective on what it was like to grow up in an alcoholic home because I, not only was I relating them, relating to them, but I was able to see like wow, everyone kind of acts the same way, like from a developmental point of view. When you grow up in an alcoholic home, there's just common things, ways of reactions, ways of seeing the world, ways of behaving. And all these kids, these high school kids, were just doing the same thing that I was doing, you know? And then some of them were more involved than others. The meeting was nowhere near as strong as what I had going on for me. And that made me feel really lucky um, about the kind of meetings that I attended when I was younger. But it was so nice because there was the other Alateen sponsors in there who were like, made me feel really good because they're like, gosh, it's it's so nice to have you because you have the experience of Alateen. You can really, really relate to these kids and kind of turn them on to like going to the conventions and big bashes, which are campouts and stuff like that, and really relate to them. And um, and I wasn't, you know, I was, I'm still kind of younger, so they could still have that room to relate to me somewhat. And um, man, that was a blessing. And every time I'd walk out of there, it felt like not only would I feel so good, but I felt like a part of something from my childhood had healed even more. And um, I don't know, that's just probably my favorite kind of service work is working with kids. Um, even when I was in Alateen, I did a lot of the service work in H&I. Like, we'd go into institutions where other kids were at and, like, people going into hospitals or jails or whatever and sharing their story. We would do that as Alateens with kids our age and, and juvie and stuff. And... Um, I've always had, like, a special place in my heart for kids who kind of grew up like I grew up um, because they are disadvantaged. And they tend to be really intelligent people, really sensitive. <laughs> Aren't we all sensitive? And, uh, and there's just a special place in my heart because I see the potential and I see the love and I see the hurt, you know, and it's just 
hurts. And someone told me this, that hurt people end up hurting people, you know? And so that really carries over with me. I really see that when people are hurting other people, it's just because they're hurt, and same here. Um, today, my life is so good. I've finally learned, and I'm still in the process of learning, how to take responsibility for my happiness. Um, I wouldn't say that I was the most unhappiest person, um, but in a lot of ways I was, and um, although I was really good at hiding it. But um, my enviousness and my jealousy has really kind of taken a, a back seat now. It, it's, a, it's really kind of rare, actually, when it comes up, because it would come up because people would do things in their life that would make them happy, and I would get jealous. And I'd be like, oh, well, that doesn't happen to me. It doesn't happen to me. I didn't realize I had to go out and do these things to make myself happy. And today, I take responsibility for making myself happy. I do what I want. And I sometimes I say no to requests, which, you know, as Al-Anon, is really challenging to do. Um, but I'm able to do that. And um, I'm able to, to draw, you know, boundaries today. Um I work for an organization that I love. It's dedicated to service work in the community. It's an environmental education organization. And just having that job, it's a dream job for me. It's a miracle that I got this job. There's only a handful of these organizations in, in um, San Diego that are paid positions. And um, I basically get paid to like help people make a better environment. And that makes me feel really good. Um, but I've always had kind of service-type positions, whether I work with developmentally disabled adults or I am helping people in the health field. I used to run a nutrition department. And um, I really attribute that to the program. The program really focuses on serving others. And I just want to, I, I do, I just want to dedicate my life in whatever which way that is to serving others. Um, there has to be an overall picture where people are going to be benefiting. And that's from my parents, and that's from, you know, the program. I don't know what time it is. Okay. It's 11. I mean, you know what? I'm still on... It's not 11. I don't, I've got California time going on, so I just don't know. Um, gosh, what do I want to share? Um, I guess I'll share about my relationships today. Um, I'm... As I'm growing older, I'm, I'm 31, um, I used to, like, look at Al-Anon people and judge them for, like, they'd be like, you know, I just keep attracting these alcoholics into my life. And I'd be like, good grief, like, get over it. Like, stop attracting them. Just go after someone normal. Well, every guy that I went after, of course, he was normal when I first met him. <laughs> I was like, you know, kind of fooling myself until I really got involved with him and started seeing that he would have a drinking problem or whatever, and still to this day, I just attract alcoholics. And you know what? They are the sweetest, most loving, sensitive people. I love alcoholics. I love them. <laughs> and uh, and I can really see that they're, you know, they're not bad, and that I can really see that they have the same behaviors that I do, that we're really not different. We're just on opposite sides of the coin. And the way our disease is manifested just comes out a little bit different, but the feelings are all the same. 
the feelings are all the same. And so this gentleman that I'm dating right now, I think he's a little bit of an alcoholic. And uh, sometimes we have discussions, and it's nice because the way that I communicate today is so different than the way I communicated in the past. I would scream and yell and slam doors. I was like just such a little fire rocket. And uh, I don't do that today. I come with... Uh, bring with me like understanding and compassion to the plate and so when we have somewhat uncomfortable conversations about our behavior today I'm able to take part for how I contribute to our relationship um, I'm, I'm actually able to say how I feel instead of attacking that's really new behavior for me I don't always do it but I strive for it and I'm able to do it a lot more often. The person that I have probably the hardest time is the person that I love the most, which is my father. Um, poor Gary got to see us in our AA Al-Anon action last night. My dad's trying to tell Gary what to do, and I'm trying to tell my dad to tell him not to do that. <laughs> like, oh, it's so embarrassing, but that's the way that it is. <laughs> and it was called an Al-Anon slip, so... <laughs> You know, we don't take drinks, right? It's not so obvious that you just all of a sudden you're like spooing off and pointing fingers and getting upset and yelling and <laughs> it was just old behavior for me here at the convention. <laughs> so uh, we're not perfect. Um, but, you know, my communication is just so much better today. It's all about progress and not perfection. I don't have to be perfect anymore today. I don't have to compare myself to any anymore today. And it really, I mean, I'm finally, finally, finally getting to that spot. Like, it took me years of, like, getting to the point where I just wouldn't compare myself to other people. And today, the times when I do compare myself to other people, I recognize it immediately, and I just say, Diane, I don't have to go there, because every time I compare myself to someone, I end up on the, with the shorter stick. And I just, I don't want to do that today. It just, it's just, it's not worthwhile. And so um, I notice the good, and I notice the differences. And yes, I do notice the bad sometimes. I observe it, but I don't have to judge it as harshly. And just like that book says, I don't always know what is motivating someone else's behavior. I don't have all the answers. Um, something that I um, really want to acknowledge as I'm getting older, and this is like, I, you know, most of my friends that I went to Alateen with aren't in the program anymore, and so I don't know what their experience is as they're getting older, but um, I'm really seeing, like, more and more how the disease has affected me as I get older, even though I'm in program. Um, but when it talks about an Al-Anon, I don't know if it's the Al-Anon clause or what it is, but they read it at the beginning of a lot of meetings. It says we are dominant, smug, self-righteous, domineering, you know, all that stuff. I really relate to that. <laughs> That's really scary. But I really do. And my dad just told me yesterday, he's a, you know, he told me this on the plane. There's quite a few people who have told me that our, our personalities are identical. You never want to hear that from your parent. You know, you're like, no. But I take that in a good way in a lot of times. But he's like, yeah, we both have to be right. <laughs> I was like, it took me a little bit to swallow it. But then I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's true. I always have to be right. I always have to look good. I care about what other people think about me. 
I want to control. And now today I know the motivations for these actions. The motivation for controlling someone else is because, not because I just like to control. It's, it, I don't think it's that. I think it's that I want to control someone else's actions because they may reflect on me, and I don't want to look bad to anybody else. Um, I want to be comfortable. And so I, I forget that other people's actions don't reflect on me. I forget that all the time. And being self-righteous, it's like, it's ingrained in me. It's like an automatic. It's like, and now what I've learned today, I, I, I believe in karma. And not in a good or a bad way, like, ooh, the bad karma's coming back or the good karma's coming back. I just believe energy circulates. And, you know, as soon, I know now that every time I judge someone and I'm thinking, oh, I would never do that. I find myself either I had done that and I had forgotten about it and that's what's making me uncomfortable and that I don't like or I'm doing that and I'm just completely in denial about it or I will do that. I know I'm capable of doing that and then there's quite a few times in the last few years where I actually haven't done it um, or not doing it but it actually has come to pass for me in the future where I've really judged someone kind of harshly and haven't even shared it with them. Not necessarily anyone else, but I've been judging them, and then it comes back to me, and I find myself in that situation, and then I get to learn about compassion and understanding, and my God gives me really good doses of that, a lot of doses of compassion and understanding, because I get to go through all these things that I'm judging in other people. I get to experience them myself and realize I am human too. I can make mistakes, the same mistakes that other people make that I think that you shouldn't make. Like, you dummy, how could you do that? Um, so that's, that's I think, where my higher power really comes into play. And I think I want to end um, soon, but I'm going to just talk about my relationship with my higher power and that how that correlates with probably the two main emotions that are really kind of motivating me in my life, and that's fear and that's love. And... Like I said, I told you a little bit about what my relationship was with my higher power, who I'm called, who I'm, whom I call, choose to call God, um, is that it used to be very fear-based. I had a lot of resentments towards God. I actually had to do like the steps with my sponsor about God. Like I was, you know, I was doing the fourth step on God, and I was very angry with God. And I felt like God had screwed me by giving me these two parents. I, like, how? why did I do? What did I do to deserve this? Why did you just start me out this way in life? It's so unfair. And I uh, had worked through those resentments. I actually had to do forgiveness, you know, with myself and with God, and actually change my belief system about God, which it didn't happen overnight for me. I wasn't one of those people who, who your sponsor said, just change the way you think about him. I was like, it took me years to change the way that I thought about God. Um, but today my relationship with God is that I know that God loves me and it's my perception of life on my past all the way up through now that has changed. Where before I used to tell my story and it was just like, Oh my God, that poor thing. That poor little girl, she grew up like that. I can't believe that. To where today it's like, well, 
God was a savior in my life during all those times. Humans act, and I think God rushes right in wherever he can to, like, kind of help the situation out and uh, give us opportunity to get close to him or her and um, to make our lives better and to fill us up with love. And um, and I see that today. And today I pray. I mean, I pray all the time, and it's like, it's like my best friend. I have God with me all the time. I don't feel alone anymore. Um, that's probably the best feeling um, because I just have God with me and I know that whatever situation that I go into, I'm going to be okay. And that whatever happens, like change, I'm really afraid of change, especially when I haven't planned it out for it to look that way. Like my ex-boyfriend breaking up with me, I did not want that. I thought my life was going to be over. It ended up being the best thing for me. And... You know, now when things don't work out, I have this feeling like something didn't work out. I had a move, and I had a plan to go here, and it didn't happen at the last minute. And right away, the first thought that came into my head, okay, God's got something better planned for me here. And it's so nice that that is becoming automatic for me because I don't have to stay in fear longer. Fear sucks, and it sucks to be just worried all the time and frantic. I can't communicate with people. I can't connect with people. I can't connect with myself. So um, today I feel like God has blessed me with my parents, which is amazing. Like I have the two best parents in the world, and I feel lucky, actually, that we have like somehow ended up on this earth together and that we've gone through the experiences that we've gone through because my parents have helped me a lot. I mean, a lot with compassion, understanding, and forgiveness. Um, I don't think I'd be the person I was today if, if God didn't give me my parents. I'm very grateful for my parents. I have to say one thing about my father very proud of my father. He's been sober for 16 years. I never thought he would get sober. I didn't know how to get him sober, but he did it all on his own, amazingly enough, without my help. And thanks. Um, for those of you who are parents um, and your your children are grown, like I said, I'm 31. My dad, his example of how he works the program still influences me today, and we've lived thousands and thousands and thousands of miles apart. Um, the way he works his program influences me today. I watch him. He's an example of the AA program. He works a program, and he's like a big book for me. I see how to work the program, and he's like, it's just because I'm not in his house anymore doesn't make a difference um, and so it's never too late with your kids. It's never too late with your kids. Um, and I'm lucky because today, like, the gentleman before me who shared, Larry, such a great speaker, he, he shared about um, his father getting to forgive and make that connection with his father. And I feel like I have that with my parents. And I'm so lucky that they're alive today and that we've mended our relationships and that there's love there and that these programs, the 12-step programs, um, are such a blessing to bring families together. They really bring families together, war-torn families. Are, there's so much love, and um, 
you know, we still get into those little wars, but that's all right, because we work them out a lot quicker, and our communication is a lot different. So I'm very grateful. I just want to thank you guys so much for having me here. You guys have, I mean, you guys have been great. Thank you. It's such a privilege to be up here speaking. And, um, you know, I just, <laughs> I was going to say something funny in the beginning, like, you guys all have an accent here. <laughs> you know, but I, I love, I love that. I don't know what you call it because you're not really in the South, but have somewhat of that little southern twangy kind of accent. I love it, but I wonder if you guys think I'm the one who has an accent. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it's probably the case. Anyways, um, you guys have been great. Thanks so much.